Well, morning. It's wonderful to have you here this morning. This morning, I want to talk about the cross. That song that we've just sung, the darling of heaven crucified always gets me, man. But I want to talk about the cross this morning and what the cross is. It's a symbol of the Christian faith. It's a symbol of cruelty and brutality, but it's also a symbol of love and mercy. Countries have symbols. The United States has a symbol of one of them, the Statue of Liberty. Canada, the maple leaf. South Africa, the rainbow, one of the symbols. But for Christianity, it's the cross. It's only the cross. The thing is, the cross doesn't unite humanity. In actual fact, it divides humanity. We can all, all of humanity can join together uh, over the celebration of a baby that's born in Bethlehem. Uh, who won't celebrate the birth of a baby? I mean, it's great. Who won't celebrate the wisdom of the prophet from Galilee? I mean, everybody loves a little bit of wisdom because so much of it is lacking in the world today. But when it comes to the cross, the cross divides. When that shadow falls, God's eternal judgment line is cast. And we find ourselves either on one side of the cross or on the other side of the cross. There's no neutral ground at Calvary. So in Luke 23 and verse 33, this is what the Bible says. And I'm going to preach about this this morning. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with two criminals, one on the right and one on the left. One on the right and one on the left. It's the cross that divides. You know, it's so easy for us to gloss over the essence of the crucifixion because we are so removed from the brutality of the crucifixion. It was, it was a horrendous, horrendous thing. For those of you who have watched movies, you see the brutality that comes out. It was absolute horror. It was one of the ugliest forms of torture uh, and execution that anybody could go through. A prisoner, once he was convicted, was sentenced, and the preparations were made for his crucifixion. He was now the victim and he had to endure the brutality and the cruelty of the crowd. Some say the hair from his beard and his head was plucked out. They beat him, they tripped him up, they spat on him. And then trained whoops from Roman soldiers were let loose savagely, mercilessly, on his back. Then he had to endure the long walk carrying this heavy cross. We know that Jesus fell several times and was helped up, but he had to endure the walk to the place where they were going to crucify him. He was stripped of all his clothing. He was stretched out on the timbers and iron, steel nails were driven into his wrists and into his feet. Then the cross was raised and it fell into the place where it was supposed to be, 
Just that jolt must have been excruciatingly painful for the victim, for the one who was crucified. And then it took hours, sometimes even days, for that person to die. Each moment, each breath was a torture because they, they lunged forward. And when they lunged forward, incredible pressure on their shoulders and their wrists and on their feet. And in order to breathe, they had to pull themselves back up. Every moment, every minute they, they, they were moving on the cross was torture. And in, they took a breath and then they slumped forward again in absolute exhaustion. And then they had to pull themselves forward again just to breathe. The people didn't die of anything. Yes, there was a lot of blood loss, but the people died of suffocation. It was an excruciatingly painful, painful death. And sometimes it took days. Soldiers who got tired of it used to come test them. A spear was driven into Jesus' side and blood and water it showed that the serum and the blood had started to separate and that he was dead and no bone would be broken in his body, but they were ready to break his legs because then he would die within minutes of suffocation. And they came to the place of the skull and there they crucified us, crucified him. What does it mean to us? In 2023, what, what does that, in about 2930 AD, what does that death mean to us? There were thousands, there were tens of thousands of crucifixions that took place. But what does it mean to us today? Well, it's not so much the cross. I think the cross sometimes, especially with Jesus who knew no sin, who wasn't found guilty of anything, I find no sin in this man, says Pilate. Uh, it was a terrible miscarriage of justice, but I think it's all about the man on the cross. That's what made the difference. See, why is the preaching of the cross so important? Why is the death of Jesus so important? No other man had these convictions that Jesus had. And in the New Testament, as we see uh, the, the, the cross, we, we know that there are many, many people that died uh, on the crosses, but Jesus was absolutely unique. God, in the fullness of time, sent his son, this sinless son of God, and he died for us. The punishment that we deserve, that we should have experienced, that kind of punishment that we deserve, he took upon himself, and he took our place and took our sins. And it's all about the person. You see, Jesus wasn't regarded as an ordinary man. I mean, even his family feared at times that he was insane. His enemies were convinced that he was in the league of Satan. The disciples believed that he was the son of God. But people would never ever describe Jesus as an ordinary man. He was a man of love. What incredible love this man had. He was a man of power. It was a new kind of power. He spoke with such authority. He prayed for people and they were healed. He cast out demons and they were delivered. He was a man of righteousness. That righteousness was shown through over and over again. 
And he just flowed in a state of righteousness. He was so humble that he actually knelt down in the ground. This king of kings knelt down in the ground and spoke to broken and hurting people. What humility. And Jesus made incredible claims. He made claims. He who has seen me has seen the Father. What a claim. Come to me and I will give you rest. He said to one person, your sins are forgiven. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. What, what, what incredible claims Jesus was making here. He claimed equality with God. But the strangest thing is that he had this attitude towards his own death. He, he, he didn't resist it in any way. Right from the very beginning at his baptism, he said, I'm going to move towards the cross. And at times the disciples resisted him, but I'm going to move towards the cross. And throughout his life, he moved towards the cross. He said, I'm going to enter Jerusalem. And the disciples actually tried to dissuade him from going to Jerusalem, but he knew. He found himself and he went to that place called the garden, knowing that his enemies would find him there. And he willingly went to the cross. The time is right. And he went to the cross and experienced that brutal, brutal death. No man, he said, can take my life away from me. And he gave his life. It's only Jesus that we can explain and his death on the cross. This is what the Bible says. In 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be an expiation, an atonement for our sins. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Read once that if you were the only person that was living, Jesus would have still come and died for you. If you were the only individual, he would have still come. You see, it's only in the cross that God shows his love through Jesus towards us. And they came to the place called the skull, and there they crucified him. So what does the cross mean? It means that you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. It means that we should respond and give our lives back in gratitude to him who gave his life for us. It means that it should be the death of sin in our lives. And that we should not continue in sin and respond in holiness. It means that we can begin again with new life. And begin that new life again in Christ. So what does it mean to us? The cross is the dividing line. See that rest of that verse. And they came to the place of the skull. There they crucified him. One on, the one on the left and one on the right. That's the dividing line. There's this great separation that takes place. 
as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, it's very interesting. The same sunshine that shines down melts butter and hardens clay. The same rain, the same rain that's going to fall this afternoon is going to be a real miserable experience for holiday makers who have spent a lot of money getting to Cape Town. But it's going to be a sheer joy for the farmers. It works both ways. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the dividing line. One on the right and one on the left. So these two criminals, tradition says they were thieves, but I think they were more than thieves. They were more revolutionaries. They were, they were friends of Barabbas. And Barabbas was the guy that was set free so that Jesus would be, would be crucified. And they were friends of Barabbas. You know, Israel was, was a poor country and it was always under the heel of the domination of the Roman Empire. And they got together, all the young guys got together and they formed guerrilla warfare and they were fighting. But when these guys were caught, severe consequences took place and they were crucified. And so... Two of these criminals, revolutionaries, people who were participating in guerrilla warfare who were caught and they were nailed to a cross on either side of Jesus. And they responded differently. The first guy hurled insults at Jesus. If you are the Messiah, why don't you save yourself instead of mumbling to your God? Save us. Come on, save us. What good are your prayers right now? Can't you see that I suffer, you God-crazed fool? And he throws insults at Jesus. And he joins with the mob that is cursing Jesus as well. And Jesus does not respond. Jesus doesn't respond with a retort or any kind of anger. It's a very interesting thing that he doesn't respond. And when he does respond, what comes out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. I'm just going to go back on my last Sunday sermon. On Sunday, I preached about that passage. It's one of the seven last words of Jesus. And those words are incredibly powerful. And I think if we, step into if we step into forgiveness and mercy, the devil can't follow us and, and, and chase us into that place. He, he, he can't abide there. If we, if we want justice, if we want judgment, if we want to retort and to retaliate on the same level as we've been treated, then the devil will meet us there and he'll stir up the situation. But if we step into forgiveness and mercy, he can't chase us. The words of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, on the day that he was being, in Acts chapter 7, the day that he was being executed, stones were being thrown onto his head and onto his body, onto his stomach, his stomach walls split open, his intestines protruded, rocks hit his skull, his, probably his head was split open, and all that came out of his mouth were the words of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. And it was those words that totally changed the life of Saul who became Paul. Because Paul 
Saul was standing there watching the situation. He had gathered all the cloaks and he was watching over the cloaks and he was watching this. And so Paul became the greatest missionary, the greatest theologian, the greatest Christian that the world has ever known because of those words, Father, forgive them. And that's what came out of the mouth of Jesus in amongst all of this retort. So these two friends, now on opposite sides, were responding in a different way. There's no remorse from this man. He remembers his debauchery, his worldly pleasure. He's angry at Jesus, throws curses at him. He does not repent. He experiences no guilt or shame. He asks to be, re to be released from the cross, not so that his sins may be forgiven, but that he may continue in his sin. He's fed up that his friend Barabbas has been let loose, but now he's dying on the cross. He wants his independence, his pathetic independence, and has no response towards Jesus. No response in a positive way. And he continues to berate and insult Jesus until finally he becomes exhausted and he falls into death. He doesn't make any admission. You see, one of the things that we need to do is we need to recognize our place, our sinfulness. And that was the difference with the other guy. He recognized that. I, I'm not an alcoholic, never been to an AA meeting, but what I do know is that when you do go to an AA meeting and you've got an issue with alcohol or any kind of drug, the first thing you have to say is, my name is Richard and I am an alcoholic. When I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that I have to do is, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. And that first criminal never admitted that. But that was the wonder of the second guy. The second guy starts to challenge his friend and says, do you have no respect? Do you know what's going on? You yourself are going to go to death right now. How different their reactions were. You know, I mean, they were so close, both of them so close to Jesus. They watched him, they saw him, they probably had known all about Jesus. They were so, so close to Jesus. And they were so close that if it wasn't for the nails in their wrists, they could have reached out and even touched Jesus. So close, and yet their responses were so different. So different. And this other criminal watched Jesus, heard his prayer, heard his prayer of forgiveness for those that are out there, heard his prayer for his mom, heard his prayer for his relationship with the Lord. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Heard him say, it is finished. And was very, very overwhelmed at what was going on. 
He didn't respond in anger like his friend, but he responded in humility. Maybe he remembered that prophetic word from Isaiah 53, that the Messiah would be despised and rejected, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And he responded in a very, very different way. How would you respond? So he says to Jesus, it's a beautiful prayer. It's simple. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, Jesus is experiencing huge trauma, huge pain, huge suffering. And he hears this prayer. It's the first prayer of repentance. It's the first prayer of the saint that would join him in the kingdom. And he says, Lord, remember me. And Jesus gives him this promise. Truly I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Wow. One on the left, one on the right. Which side of the cross do you stand? Whenever you pray a simple prayer of faith that comes out of humility, a little bit of desperation, you will always know the grace of the Lord. And you can be standing in the world and you pray that prayer and you step across the dividing line and you become a child of God. One on the left, one on the right. The cross of Calvary always divides men. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One on the right, one on the left. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. One on the right, one on the left. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One on the right, one on the left. Which side of the cross are you? Which side of the cross are you? Let's pray together.